from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Hello, hello, hello. Wherever you are listening, we are rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. We uh, have exciting shows that we'd like to put on all the time. Um, we, we spread the gamut between entertainment, politics, cultural issues, um, primarily focusing on LGBT, but also um, a lot of intersectionality with um, all sorts of equal equality um, topics and issues across the board. Um, we are just now post-election in 2020, and um, you know, watching that on the national stage, Joe Biden has won. However, the um, now freeloader in the White House um, refuses to acknowledge that fact, and uh, there are lots of kind of uh, ridiculous, ridiculous things going on around that which uh, we'll talk about a little bit here briefly. But we wanted to focus today on the positive and kind of the rainbow positive, if you will. Um, And that is is that across the country, um, hundreds of individuals who are LGBTQ ran for various offices, and many, many of them won. And about 150 of them were supported by the Victory Fund, uh, which – really targets such individuals um, to financially support. And, um, you know, that is an excellent thing. And the um, LGBTQ Victory Fund was particularly successful this year. We have one of those individuals who is our guest. Um, His name is uh, Adrian Tang, or I'm sorry, Adrian Tang. And uh, Adrian is... He is a gay man who is 28 years old, and he is now headed towards the Hawaiian House of Representatives. Um, His story is kind of unique, um, or maybe it's not so much unique in that it has some pretty exciting facets to it, although quite a few races across the country um, are LGBTQ candidates were plagued by homophobia and Um, kind of a degree of ugliness. Um, Adrian's particularly was because he ran against somebody who was the leader of the Hawaiian Proud Boys. And um, uh, prior to running, this individual already was well-known for uh, racist and um, homophobic antics. And um, from what I'm gathering, during the campaign, he didn't hold them back. Um, So we're going to find out a little bit more about that, um, about Adrian's um, incredible win, and um, a lot of other things. With that, I want to welcome to the show my esteemed co-host, Brody Leck. Brody, welcome. Hey, good afternoon, good morning, and hello to our listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the show, subscribing to our podcasts. We really appreciate it. And as Rob said, this has been... Uh, a really good election run this last cycle for the LGBTQI community across the United States. 
This will be one of probably the largest classes of lawmakers uh, at uh, all levels, local, state, federal, uh, that we've seen. Uh, We had some firsts, um, including our guest today, uh, Representative Tam from uh, Hawaii. But we also had our first duly elected state senator, who's trans, also a friend of the show, personal friend of mine, Sarah McBride in Delaware. We had about 582 LGBTQ people on the ballot across uh, the United States. We had over 1,000 run in 2020. It was the largest number ever. The engagement uh, was incredible. Uh, We had some really, really good wins uh, in the state of New York. Uh, I want to call out newly elected Congressman Richie Torres, who I know. He's black and Latino. And his colleague, uh, now House Representative Mondaire Jones, both New Yorkers. They will become the first openly uh, black gay members of uh, U.S. House of Representatives, which I think is very, very cool. Um, In terms of our trans legislators across the states, uh, which we started in 2018 with our first one, uh, Danica Rome in Virginia. We've now doubled from uh, four legislators to seven across, which I think is just really good. Um, I want to uh, particularly give a shout out uh, to State Representative Stephanie Byers in Kansas, uh, Representative uh, Taylor Small in Vermont, uh, who also unfortunately, along with State Representative Brianna Tiron, uh, had to put up a lot of transphobic um, attacks. Uh, and in Oklahoma, of all places, uh, Representative non-binary, uh, non-binary uh, Maureen Turner, they were elected uh, uh, first time uh, in U.S. history as non-binary, and they, of course, are in Oklahoma. We made significant gains across the board. Here in California, I want to give a shout-out to the new assembly member from the 25th District, Alex Lee. He is a young uh, gay Asian, a lot of firsts uh, that he's ticking off uh, for the California State House. Uh, So, um, and then, of course, uh, someone that's known uh, to me, and that is uh, outgoing chair of the LGBT caucus in Sacramento and the newly elected mayor of the city of San Diego, uh, Todd Gloria. Uh, Todd, if you're listening, congratulations, Mr. Mayor. So it it really was a great cycle for us. Um, But unfortunately, with the good comes the bad. Um, I saw uh, today's guest uh, was actually on a news feed. I'm an editor. It came through from NBC News. I read it. I was just immediately fascinated. Uh, Having worked in the islands for about six months, I actually know the legislative district uh, that Representative uh, Tam uh, has the 22nd in Honolulu. It's basically downtown Waikiki, Alamoana, that area through there. Um, and uh, it's a very diversified district, uh, which is a reflection of not only Oahu, but the rest of Hawaii. Um, and it's very, very cool to see an openly gay uh, Chinese American uh, legislator uh, take that particular seat, uh, the 22nd seat. Is a critical seat because of where it sits, and I'll let Adrian go into further details on that. Um, well, you, you, uh, Brody, you started yeah. that out by saying there was bad news. What was the bad news? Well, there is. <laughs> I'm waiting for the bad news to drop. <laughs> that all sounded pretty good to me. 
<laughs> well, the bad news is, unfortunately, President Trump refuses to concede. Today, the final numbers were called by the network. We have 306 electoral votes to Trump's 232. He refuses to concede the election. And unfortunately, that is also causing tremendous issues of national security and other issues uh, for the Biden-Harris transition team. Um, I actually spoke to the transition team earlier today, and they told me that one of their biggest concerns that the president-elect has, of course, moving forward is, of course, distribution of the vaccine that is impending now that it looks like Pfizer's will be the first one out the gate. So there's some concerns there with that. Well, actually, I want to take take you back a step because I want to ask you, and I appreciate the 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 detriment to the transition team and – you know, the, that this situation is making that a little more difficult. But I want to ask you about the broader range about Trump's behavior. Um, I mean, this, on the one hand, this is a ridiculous charade that is being pulled. I mean, if you look at the transcripts that are happening in the courtrooms around the country where they're actually going to court on these things, these are not legitimate complaints. These are absurdities. I mean, you look at, like, there was one where um, they were in a courtroom and the, the judge um, who was asking just legitimate clarifying questions was asking them, this was where they were saying there weren't enough qualified people in the room um, to observe vote counting. And the judge mm-hmm. said, were there representatives in the, in the room? And the lawyer was hemming and hawing, and his answer was there were non-zero people in the room. And the judge was saying, what the hell does non-zero mean? It's like, you know, it's, it's, again, they're going to alternate facts. I mean, it's, it's, it's this gobbledygook speak. Yeah, with all the ridiculousness and the vapidness that they're approaching these lawsuits, which are all meritless across the board, 70% of the Republicans are holding on to this. 70% are, are, deluded that Trump has been robbed of the election. What is the long-term effect of that kind of numbers in this country of, quite frankly, deluded people? The president-elect is going to have a very hard time of it when it comes down to governance. The, The damage that has been done by the propagandist machine that Trump has used effectively over the last four years will have deterioration effects for quite a while. And unfortunately, that's not going to be, we put a new administration in power and boom, everything's fine. Um, the same kind of mentality that you see that uh, at that level, at the presidential level, filters down through every race across the country. You know, and there are people and, and again, to reference today's guest, and I'm sure Representative Tam will say the same thing, that just they don't get it. And there really isn't an effective way of making them understand. I think that the president-elect and certainly the vice president-elect uh, have a plan. They have a strategy. Uh, but it's just going to take a while. I will say this, and, and I'm going to say this loud and clear. The biggest offender, or the BS factor, as I call it, it's actually not Trump or the Republicans. It's the fact that social media giant Facebook has been more or less an accomplice 
to this echo chamber and the spread of misinformation and the spread of alt-right fabrications and falsehoods, and that when you get down to mom, pop, apple pie, Chevrolet, and the Walmart customer, you know, it's, it's like it's almost a gospel, right? and, and, and that's an unfortunate case. And until the social media giants clean their act up, it's going to continue to be a problem. It's going to be a continuing problem even for us in the media uh, because some of my colleagues, quite frankly, early on should have been calling the BS coming off of that podium in the Brady, uh, Brady briefing room and didn't. They didn't, right. you know, take into account and task. And the most important thing was, you know, today, for example, Trump was in the Rose Garden touting Operation Warp Speed and the vaccine and this and that. And then he started lying and immediately the network cut away. Well, it would have been nice if the networks had started doing that four years ago. Well, yeah, and I, quite frankly, there were some of those that I'm not, I'm not clear on why the media even showed up for, because obviously those kind of briefings are meant to be information dissemination, not speeches, and um, various press secretaries took advantage of it to make political statements rather than imparting any information. And I would have thought that maybe a good old-fashioned media walkout um, early on, to your point, would have been effective. Um, anyway, let's move on. Um, I want to uh, welcome our um, our guest today. Um, uh, Representative Adrian Tam is the uh, representative-elect to the House of Representatives in Hawaii. Uh, welcome, Representative Tam. Welcome to our show. Uh, yes, thank you for having me, and it's good to be on. Oh, excellent to have you. I, I'm I, okay. This is going to date me severely, so I'm I'm, I'm stepping out on this. But um, uh, you are you are obviously making a landmark move for LGBTQ history in the state of Hawaii uh, with your election. Um, and for those of us who are not Hawaii centered, you know, uh, on our day to day, one of the significant history-making times of Hawaii was actually in 1993 when the Hawaiian Supreme Court was the first court in the land to actually entertain the idea of legalizing same-sex marriage. Um, At that point, if I do my math correctly, you were maybe all of one years old. So that means your entire life has spanned this historic start of LGBT rights in Hawaii on forward. What has it been like growing up in LGBTQ Hawaii during that time period? Well, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know how I can describe it, but I definitely know that it's a lot easier than what I know some other have gone through living elsewhere but in Hawaii we do have a traditional social sense to um, being LGBTQ um, seeing that we want to keep some traditional norms so about that court case that came up the courts have ruled that um, gay people have the right to marry However, in 1997, a referendum was proposed that puts that question on the ballot. And the question on the ballot was, shall 
the legislature decide whether or not marriage is between a man or a woman. And overwhelmingly, I think it passed 70 to 30. So when that referendum passed, the legislature immediately was called in, called in for a special session, I think. And marriage was then illegalized again. So when people say that this is an LGBTQIA paradise, there is still some sense of social norms that people still want to preserve here. However, we're slowly making progress. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just ironic because what happened um, in the rest of the country when that first started in 1993, it really woke up the conservatives. I mean, it it, it did more of that than it did um, enlivening the LGBTQ community because, quite frankly, across the community itself in its various forms across the country – um, we weren't even ready for that conversation. It was it was took organizations and everybody by surprise. The people it woke up was the people who were most afraid of it, which obviously, you know, there's certainly that element in Hawaii to the point that you actually ran against somebody who kind of represents the modern day version of that. Um, but before we get to him, um, what inspired you to, to join, to jump out, to to be part of the Hawaiian government. Well, I've always been. Well, I've worked for the legislature for the past four years before running for office. I worked as a legislative assistant, and I worked my way up to be a legislative manager. And you know, when you're in the legislature, you see a lot of moving parts, and sometimes you do question to yourself. Why aren't some things moving and others are? So a little, little bit of back history behind my um, race. So it, this wasn't an open seat. When I ran in this year, I was challenging the incumbent who's been there for 14 years. And I, you know, the message that I wanted to get across was we are in unprecedented times where a pandemic has hit us and put up and pretty much ruined our entire government and our um, economy. We need to elect new leaders to bring forth new ideas to the legislature because we see, because I see this as sort of a reset button for our economy. And that message resonated. It just so happens Mm -hmm. that after I won the primary. The Republicans put up this candidate um, that really doesn't understand who we are as people. So that's sort of the reasons why I jumped into this race. Yeah, so you were uh, – because one of the, the issues I think the you were running up against the incumbent on – was, um, uh, among others, um, homelessness and some of those issues going on. Um, were, was that a lightning rod issue for you to go up against him, or what, are, um, what were the other ones that you felt he needed to be challenged on? Well, homelessness and housing was definitely one of them. 
um, the incumbent was the chair of the House Housing Committee. And, you know, like I said, when you're working in the legislature, you see a lot of moving parts and you wonder why some are stalled and some are moving forward. It's just where your priorities are. Homelessness is a bigger one because it's, his, it's Waikiki, and homelessness has become rampant in our district. Um, our, I don't know if you read up about my opponent, but he <laughs> made national news just like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not how I would approach the situation, but it was how he approached the situation that really, um, how should I put it in a way that it pissed people off, you know? Yeah. But um, he got reelected and he went almost unchallenged for somewhat years until I came along. So would you his I thought yeah, his behavior oh I'm sorry go ahead so I saw you know this as an opportunity for me to get this new message out there as well you know yeah um and of course we're talking about state representative Tom Brower um and he his his behavior towards the homeless was um pretty much cruel and inhumane um, did you, do you, did you respond to that behavior on his part, um, as kind of this Trumpian knee jerk, um, conservatism that we've seen exhibited across the country, or did you think it was kind of a unique situation to, uh, Brower himself? Um, during this campaign, I never really brought up the incident. Um, you know, I don't attack my opponents or my the other candidates. That's not how I ran the campaign. Um, it definitely was brought up a lot in the race by um, people who were my constituents and our voters. They wanted to know what my thoughts are, and all I had to say was that I would not have taken that approach had I been a representative at the time. Um, I thought that the approach was mean-spirited, and it actually exasperated the homeless problem in our district. Well, let me jump in here and kind of rescue both the representative and you, Rob. For our listeners, the incumbent that uh, Representative Tam uh, beat in the prime, uh, primary um, had at one point a very widely publicized incident uh, that I even covered as a national reporter in his quote-unquote battle against the homeless people in Waikiki in particular because of the high visibility due to Waikiki being a major draw for tourism. Uh, Representative Brower thought it would be a good idea to round up all their belongings and their shopping carts where they were keeping their belongings and then carting them off to the dump. And he was doing this personally. He also, in one instance, took a literal sledgehammer or axe or some other shop tool and destroyed an encampment with it. Um, It was draconian. Uh, It was, quite frankly, uh, not very human at all, to be honest with you. And it raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, And I understand Representative Tam's reticence about talking to it. 
uh, addressing it directly, but I can because I covered it on a national scale because it made national news. Rob? <laughs> and did you have a question, Brody? <laughs> oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'll let you two keep going. I just wanted to, to jump in there because it, it's, it, it is just I was personally angered uh, when I saw the story. And when I read that Representative Tam was going to be the 22nd district, I knew right away where that was. It was like, oh, and then I went and read it. Oh, he beat this guy. Good for him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, Representative Tam, because homelessness is a big problem uh, in California here as well, as uh, well as a lot of other places around the country. And certainly the current administration nationally has not – uh, been a help in any way. In fact, I would say, um, just anecdotally, I've seen it get worse in that time frame. Um, what are your thoughts of solutions? Some of my thoughts and solutions for homelessness includes a housing first model to address homelessness. So in Hawaii, part of the problem of why we have homelessness is because we have a housing shortage. So we are facing a housing shortage of 65,000 units, and we need 65,000 units to meet our housing shortage by 2025, and we're nowhere close to that. Um, The other things that we are thinking about, that I'm thinking about, is investing in mobile clinics, mobile courts, and a unique one that I'm really interested in is the idea of prescribing Medicaid dollars for rent. So it sounds weird, but in a way, it saves a lot of our Medicare dollars, Medicaid mm-hmm. dollars. So if you think about it, hospitals are not allowed to deny anyone who goes into the emergency room a hospital bed. And when someone is homeless, they were to go in to the hospital, see the emergency room, they're offered a bed, regardless of what their condition is, and they're taken care of. And per night, that bed could cost up to 1000 to $2,000. And that comes out of our Medicaid funds. And instead, we could use that Medicaid funds to pay, use that 1000 to $2,000 on a studio apartment for a month to house them. It was uh, a unique idea yeah. that was um, brought up in the past, but it kind of died. So the person who brought it up is now our lieutenant governor. So I will be introducing that bill again this upcoming legislative session. Um, that's I like awesome, that and idea. I think that's a, a brilliant idea. No, that's that's that that's super smart um, um, and excellent. So I, I want to go back to your election because obviously um, you you did end up running against. Um, uh, somebody other than representative Brower, how did, did Brower lose the primary? Is that how um, um, the proud boy um, Nicholas Ox get into the race? Um, Yes. So um, Tom Brower and I are both Democrats and we ran against each other in the democratic primary for the seat that represents the party. Um, the other candidate in the Republican ran unopposed. 
so he kind of became the nominee without any challengers. So in the general, and, it was me versus the 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 Republican. So when when he was running, did did no one in the community kind of point out this is the leader of the Proud Boys, and even as the Republicans in the community feel a little bit. Um, um, for lack of a better term, embarrassed having someone like him run and representing them? So this is where um, I will personally say that I've lost a lot of respect for the Republican Party here. They knew since February that this person was running and the deadline to file a candidacy was June 2nd. And that means for the month between February and June, they couldn't put up anyone else to try to represent them. And then fast forward to the general election. And let's say the time that he was banned from Facebook. A news article that was published by our local ABC affiliate, KITV, came up and, you know, did a story on him being banned from Facebook and all his offensive posts in the past. And when they reached out to the Republican Party for comment, the Republican Party just had no, just said no comment, but instead doubled down, say a lot about the Republican Party in Hawaii right now, that yeah. they were not embarrassed by this candidate. They, they were openly promoting this candidate. And I just hope that, that, you know, people in the district realize that because there were a lot of Republicans that reached out to me who told me that they are voting for me because they knew that um, my opponent was dangerous. At the same time, some Republicans have even um, donated money to me and have openly talked about me to the district and came out publicly in support of me. So I'm happy about that. So all hope is, there is still hope. But the way I ran my campaign, it wasn't about Antifa. I didn't talk about Antifa. I didn't Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, the Proud Boys or whatever. I really talked and focused about our economy um, to smaller issues like, you know, uneven sidewalks, potholes and congestion, traffic congestion and parking. So no, that's awesome, and and I, I do want to kind of um, read a piece here, just so because um, obviously a lot of people are not going to be familiar with um, um, uh, Nick Ox and his um, who he is. Um, he was a uh, he, he was on campus at, uh, he was a political science major at UH Manoa. Um, he was the campus co-chair of the Trump for President campaign. And he led, that led to him to forming the Proud Boys of Hawaii in 2017. Um, quote, his quote is, uh, we are a social club, a fraternity. Proud Boys are what you'd call the new right, or to make it simpler to understand, 
the alt-light. Um, he said he claims they were not racist, um, but he said that all you have to do to become a proud boy is to declare yourself to be a proud Western chauvinist. Um, we think that Western culture is the best, and we need to, need to make no apology for that. Um, America, first and foremost, we're an American chapter, and we think this is the greatest country on earth, Canada, Western Europe. Let's not overcomplicate this. What's today's big controversy? The president is in trouble for, I know you have polite listeners, calling certain parts of the world crap holes. Uh, so that was his, um, that was his self-described uh, positioning of who he was and um, what he stood for. Um, what, what was your thoughts on him? Um, I don't really have any thoughts about that other other than that I do not approve. But I've I've long long said to everyone that, you know, it's not enough just to beat the Proud Boys in one election. It's up to us to continue to get our message of positivity and love and justice out to prevent people from Subscribing to ideologies like these. I think it's also no, important absolutely. to note too that one of the things, and and for our listeners, Representative Tam is representing um, a part of the island of Oahu uh, that, in addition to chronic homelessness uh, and its infrastructure issues, um, and he mentioned parking. And my immediate response was, "What parking?" Um, is, you know, also one of the most expensive places to live, point blank. A lady's economy is greatly dependent on agriculture and tourism, tourism in particular, and especially for his district. His district, in addition to Waikiki, which is Hotel Central, also has a tremendous amount of mom-and-pop businesses that have been definitely impacted by the coronavirus. The other thing about the representative's district is it's extremely, extremely diversified, multicultural, which is true of most of Hawaii anyway. But probably I would say his district is more of an accurate reflection of that inclusion of, of the type of diversity in the islands. And the thing that is also important to note uh, is that you have to kind of have to bridge uh, different cultures and different understandings in order to make things work. Uh, even in a normal election year, that would be difficult, let alone running against an avowed, self-avowed white supremacist. Um, Representative Tim, I, I'm not trying to take your platform from you here. I'm just kind of give context to our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, of, of your district and, and, and what goes on there. Let me ask you just a quick question. You are the proud son of proud parents from two completely different dynamic Chinese cultures, Hong Kong and Taiwan. So you're already used to having a blending in your own home. What's the most important thing to you as you start to look forward to your legislative career representing that district? What's your number one priority for your constituency when we talk about it at that human level? Well, you know, like you said, our community is very diverse. So we have a lot of 
um, college students that live in our district. That they're mostly in precinct three. A lot of the walk-ups are there, so you know they're concerned about the economy. They're concerned about you know whether they're able to find a job when they graduate. And then you have um, precinct two, and there are mostly retirees that live in the district, and they're concerned about caregivers issues and Alzheimer's issues. And then you have um, Precinct 3, which is um, – Precinct 3 is mostly um, professionals that have been already established, and they're mostly concerned about their kids and education because they have a lot of kids going to um, public school still. So it is a mixed bag of priorities. But overall, generally, there's a consensus that the biggest issue has to be homelessness, and our economy. Uh, everyone wants their streets to be free of homelessness, and we all want every um, to them to get off the street and back on their feet. And in terms of the economy, everyone wants to have to not spend too much at a grocery store anymore. Everyone wants their jobs back, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's those two issues that are the biggest priorities right now for those for the district and will be my priorities as well. Right. Okay. And before and, I give it back to and, Rob, one more question. How did they approach you during the campaign period, okay, as a young gay Chinese man? I mean, it's a diversified district. It could be accepting, but let's face it, not all of Hawaii is accepting. How was the voters' perception of you as a gay man? You know, it never really came up. Um, I did put the Victory Fund endorsement in my mailers, but you know, my sexuality didn't come out at all. Come up at all, and um, for some, it excited a lot of people that I am LGBT, so they voted for me. Because they never, um, they never had the opportunity. They never thought that they'd have the opportunity to vote for someone who is LGBT. For others, when they found out that I was, um, they were super. They were also super excited. This was after they voted for me. Um, you have to realize, you know, this district Waikiki is no is home of um, the famous um, gay bar. Um, Kulas, mm-hmm. and there are others scattered across the district as well. So there are a lot of LGBT business owners and workers that live in the district. I have a feeling you're going to get a drink named after you at Kulas, Rob. <laughs> cool. That'll be really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so it, with, with water. the the. <laughs> well, I hope it's more exciting than that. <laughs> um, with with the Proud Boy opponent, I understand that he and his followers actually did harass your platforms and 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 trolled you um, significantly. What kind of things were they saying about you? Um. They were saying stuff that, you know, I wouldn't debate my opponent. They were saying, which I can get into that a little bit more later. They were making fun. 
that I put my pronouns in my bio. Um, they're calling me Marxist and a socialist, which um, my campaign team all laughed at. Um, yeah, mostly it was the pronouns in the bio thing that they really that was that was where the homophobia came in. Oh, and there was some mention about how, um, you know, they said don't vote for me because China will take over again if I get elected. <laughs> Sorry. And I just say all of China, <laughs> which which. You know, I have to say, um, you know, first of all, of course, that is completely ignorant on its face. But especially if your parents are from Hong Kong and Taiwan, wouldn't mainland <laughs> yeah. China be the, the last place on Earth? China. Would, yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, uh, ridiculous. Um, yeah, so uh, the um, – the debate <laughs> yes the debate yeah what what was the situation with the debate so not you that know, you would want to go up against somebody who's who was scraping so low but yeah oh no you know i was looking forward to a debate i wish there was a debate between me and in the primary um you know i love debate but we were scheduled to have a debate through our local public broadcasting service here in Hawaii, but a couple weeks later, after a journalist received some threatening text messages from one of my opponent's supporters, they canceled the debate, fearing that, A, it was too dangerous for their um, moderator, and B, they were worried that we would give any airtime to my opponent, what other things would he mm. say? Because those, these debates are live. These debates are unfiltered. They're not pre-recorded at all. So um, it was like a Wednesday afternoon where we both got an email saying that, that we've been disinvited from the debate. And the reason they gave was just that they wanted to focus on another race. And it was at that point where I realized, you know, this, they have a point. You shouldn't give any oxygen to this kind of vitriol and this kind of ideology. Like, why should I lend my platform that I built for this? And that was why we decided to not engage in any debate or any interaction with my opponent. Um, that's why I rarely say his name. I always refer to him as the other candidate. Um, that's why I muted Twitter, so I don't really get notifications from him or his supporters. And I never engage. I never at him or anything. Well, yeah. I mean, that goes back to your point about the Republicans having so little gumption 
as to um, allow someone like that to run in the first place when when a party's candidate is so egregious and so embarrassing that a media platform literally cannot have them on because their viewpoint or their rhetoric offends just decent standards. I mean, that says a lot right there. You're right. Brody? Yeah. I, I think that the, the biggest thing that is, and I, I had this conversation uh, just about an hour before we went on the air today uh, with uh, Representative Evan Lowe, who's uh, chair of the LGBT caucus um, in Sacramento, uh, his, his new chief uh, press communications person. And Josh and I were just talking about this. One of the things that is, is that Trump is more of a symptom of a larger disease uh, in the American uh, body politic. But what's, what I think is extremely unfortunate, and Josh kind of agreed with me on this, and I think Representative Tam, you probably will too, is that Trump, for whatever reason, pulled the Band-Aid off. And, you know, it, it's the scabs off, and now all these people are coming out, and, uh, you know, and the things that are, they're saying and doing, while are seemingly egregious, they actually think like that. I, uh, you know, Rob, I was telling you the other day when we were having a talk about the Karen videos, I used to think they were funny. Okay. I no longer do. I'm appalled by the amount of people that have that much privilege or self-sensitive entitlement and privilege and no filter and will say the most horrible things. Uh, and what killed me, uh, especially about Hawaii was the fact that it's such an inclusive multicultural place that, that kind of thing is just seeped through and just it's there and it's just that kind of ugliness. And I, I think that that is something, you know, the, the core civility has just gone out of a political structure. And I think it's kind of unfortunate. Um, you know, now that you've won the race and you're going to be sworn in as a sitting uh, member of the legislative body there on a Wahoo, um, I would think that some of your colleagues, um, that do have an R after their name would at least be gracious enough to reach out and congratulate you and be willing to work with you. Um, but that's just me saying, I hope so. Um, do you look forward to this? I mean, you've been a legislative aide for four years and now you're the one in the hot seat. How does it feel? Um, it feels great. I do hope that my Republican colleagues do reach out to me. Um, but I would not be surprised if they didn't. So let me tell you some of the, so we only have four Republican colleagues left in the Hawaii state legislature and um, five if you count the one in the Senate. So there are only five Republicans in our entire Capitol building. Wow. Of the four, we have one of them who is Representative Bob McDermott, who openly said that transgender people were, had mental disorders. And then the other one is Rep. Jean Ward, who, during a marriage equality debate back in 2013, compared marriage equality to 9-11. Lovely. So, you know, I know that they will have to talk to me one of these days. They're going to have to. But I would not, I would be surprised if they apologize about the whole putting up a proud boy as their nominee in District 22. 
You're being very gracious about calling him a cowboy. I would have other descriptions of it, Rob. (laughs) Well, which, which Brody, quite frankly, is probably why you won't get elected to public office. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) There is a word, diplomat. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it's not you. Um, So, uh, uh, I wanted to ask uh, uh, Representative Tam about a couple of issues that I know in California these are big deals, and I would assume that um, uh, there are similar things going on in Hawaii. What what is going on for you with the um, COVID nineteen crisis, as well as um, you know climate change and the effects that that's having, or are those less in, less issues uh, for Hawaii? Yes, COVID-19 is a big issue in Hawaii. So in Hawaii, we have a very retiring, aging population here. So a lot of them are very vulnerable to this. At the same time, we have a doctor shortage. What COVID-19 done for us was that it kind of it kind of brought out all this dirty laundry of what's wrong with our system. So take, for example, our unemployment. Our unemployment on a very old system and because of that, we're still processing people through to get their unemployment. There have been people who have been unemployed since March that are still waiting on their paycheck. So what we are wow. hoping, what I'm hoping for is that the new government reforms committee that was established by the House and the Senate already has one, will start to look at these issues and be willing to spend the money to upgrade our system. And I hope that the governor would be open to doing that. In terms of climate change, um, somewhat years ago, we passed a law that would set a goal for clean, all renewable energy and clean energy by 2045. I can tell you straight up that we are nowhere close to that, and we still have many condominiums and developments going up that do not meet clean energy standards. So, you know, that's disturbing for me as someone who is a millennial and cares about climate change. So I'm setting forth a new plan or proposal. Hopefully by next year, I can present an actual bill um, once we work it out. So um, the idea that it could, I could, uh, I still need to contact a lot of people on how we can do this is to create a green tech program at the University of Hawaii to do research on these um, clean energy, such as eco-friendly villages, to hydropower, to uh, smart grids, to green infrastructure, and allowing businesses to use that research and um, those resources for free, as long as A, they operate out of our state and be hire a quota of the local workforce here. And let me tell you why that's important. Because earlier, you know, Brody, like you said, our economy is dependent on two things, tourism and agriculture, and I can even, I'll even add the military. When our, our tourism industry took a pause, we have one of the highest unemployment rates in the nation as a result of that. Mm. So there's been talks about diversifying our economy and 
I think the best way to go is through green tech. We create those jobs and we meet the clean energy goal that we set out years ago. I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a nerd on this issue. <laughs> no, that's excellent. That's excellent. Hey, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. So um, hopefully helping even local efforts is the fact that we will have a new administration all the way up at the top uh, with uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. Um, if you were granted a meeting with them as they were setting up the administration and you were going in to represent all the needs of Hawaii, um, what would you want to talk to them about? I think I would love to talk about the green energy program that I want to do. Um, Climate change is not just a Hawaii issue. It is a global issue. And I think that that has like one of the most potential to um, build our economy, not just here in Hawaii, but maybe even across the United States and make us more competitive with other nations. If we set off our new green Marshall plan. So yeah, I would love to talk about climate change with them. Excellent. And I'm sure they would be all ears and, and very interested. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the new wave of diversity? I mean, this is kind of the positive reaction to the Trump years. Um, you know, we have, we have the very first um, female um, uh, multiracial vice president, you know, breaking that, that glass ceiling. Um, people of, of different ethnic groups are making progress. And as we mentioned at the top, um, LGBT people, making inroads into um, the public governance. Um, what, what, where do you want to see that go? What are your, your thoughts and hopes for the future? Yes, you know, it, it's a start. I'm really happy that we are making a lot of progress. I've always said that in order for our government to work for the people, it has to look like the people. It, it will not get anything done if everyone looks the same. So I hope that more people are willing to step up to the plate to run for office and to bring that power that they harness to Congress and to make Congress look a little bit more like America. And my advice to them is if you're going to run, you should work hard, but at the same time, you should always be yourself because no one's going to elect a fraud. And when a populist does elect a fraud, as we did four years ago, we learned the hard way that, you know, it, it didn't work out well for us. Right. Very well said. Well, um, Congressman Tam, we are almost out of time. Um, uh, oh, you just elevated you. him to the U.S. House. <laughs> huh? Well, no, House, House Representative, Congressman of Hawaii. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I'll do that one. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind elevating him to the U.S.
U.S. House. But, uh, Neither would I, actually. I could see him doing uh, well in the, uh, in the U.S. House. Uh, anyway, where I was saying, um, uh, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for everything that you've accomplished so far. And most importantly, thank you in advance for what we know you are going to accomplish um, with the last few minutes, what have we not asked you that we should have? Uh, I don't know. This was one of the most in-depth interviews that I've ever given. Thank you. That our, our pleasure, our sincere pleasure, and, and that is our specialty. Yeah. We probably should have warned you. <laughs> but, yeah, thank you. You were you, – absolutely fantastic your um, brilliance and um, I'm very excited to see what you do for your community they're very very lucky to have you um, and with that for some more final words I'll turn it over to Brody uh, Representative Tam I want to thank you uh, Mahalo for coming on the show uh, much aloha from California I wish you all the best of luck as you push forward in your career as a legislator, I'm sure I'm going to be hearing more eventually. Maybe the elevation to the U.S. House that Rob just gave you will become a reality. Um, but I think that the people of the 22nd District on the island of Oahu have really gotten themselves a good deal here in you. So congratulations on your election, sir, uh, and I wish you the best of luck as you move forward. And please don't forget the obligatory photograph in front of the statue of Kamehameha. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it is our pleasure, and um, I, I can't wait to see what, what you do next. I'm not going to even ask you about that right now because you've already laid out quite an agenda ahead of yourself in the immediate future, but we will watch for you um, in the coming years for, for much, much more. So uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in um, and please tell your friends and uh, you can find our podcast on any podcast app. Just do a search for rated LGBT radio. There we are. Please do subscribe. Also, we will be back again next week with another intriguing, interesting, exciting, and wonderful program. I promise you, I have no idea what it is. But I promise you it will fit all of those descriptors. Um, and I want to thank Brody for all he does. Um, he is a top-notch editor and reporter and um, the editor of large, the L.A. Blade. So find his work on the website for that. Um, and for everybody else, thank you for listening. And we will be back here next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.